Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. If you're on mission for God, there's one thing that you can expect, and that is opposition. And uh, that opposition will come in many forms. And Jesus had that opposition. The Sanhedrin was against him. The Pharisees, the Sadducees was against him. And even the Apostle Paul, who he called himself a Pharisee of the Pharisee, persecuted the church until he was, uh, you know, dramatically saved and set free from sin and became the missionary and the apostle to the Gentiles. Again, this is Bert Harper along with Nathan Harper, and it's our joy to be with you this weekend on Exploring Missions. And and Nathan, opposition sometimes is is so strong that people feel defeated. Sometimes it's uh, to be overcome easily. Uh, When I say easily, not as dramatic as others, but can you expect opposition no matter where you are or what you're doing if you're on mission for God? Yeah, absolutely. You know, if we are um, going out, being sent out, uh, whether we're just simply living and sharing the name of Jesus, um, wherever we go in his name, um, we're going to have that opposition um, in its its spiritual in in nature. It's a um, it's a demonic um, from from Satan uh, in opposition. I mean, if you think about it, as soon as Jesus arrives on the scene, uh, you know, as he's born and throughout his ministry, you know, the, the the enemy is opposing him at every turn. Now, there's people involved, and there's you know groups like you mentioned before. You know, the Sanhedrin and the uh, political religious groups of the day, the Pharisees, Sadducees, so many others. Uh, but then you even see uh, actual demons um, standing in the way, opposing the work of Jesus. Um, and of course, Jesus was uh, overcoming that, you know, and breaking down those uh, strongholds. And at the same time, you know, since then to, to now, uh, when we go out in Jesus' name, uh, carrying the gospel of Jesus, we can expect the same sort of opposition uh, coming our way. And it is amazing how different cultures that opposition shows up. And uh, yes, like if you go to some Caribbean islands or Central America, South America, Africa, uh, you see these, that, and, and it's obvious that, quote, it is demonic. And uh, even in Asia, but in reality, in our, our, I would say, European Western civilization culture, you still see that. It just raises its head a little bit different and it's not as, uh, you know, prolific far as the uh, knowledge to recognize it, but it is still there. It's that opposition and Satan is behind it. And, and Nathan, when you find 
the and we talk about the church at Antioch. I think we on Exploring Missions we talk about the church at Antioch uh, a whole lot, but there's reasons behind that. But Paul and Barnabas are sent out by the church at Antioch, and they go to Cyprus, which is Barnabas's home, by the way. And mm-hmm. the first thing they do on the first missionary journey is to confront opposition, and it is demonic, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, you know, there in Acts uh, chapter 13, it, it pretty much describes it. Um, Paul's words um, were that to this to this man uh, says, you are a child of the devil uh, and an enemy of everything that is right. So, you know, he's identifying the, the source of this opposition, and it's from the devil. What's interesting, this guy that's a sorcerer, he has two names, but one of them is Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. And Jesus, and Paul, I recognize, and he said, no, you're a son of the devil, you know? And yeah. uh, he says, you're far from the son of a, of a savior. You're a son of the devil. And he's full of deceit. He's an enemy of righteousness. Uh, again, perverting. Now, this is how, how they operate. They're going to completely come against you to try to stop you, or they try to pervert what you're saying. These are tactics. You remember what Paul said? We should not be ignorant of Satan's devices, his Mm -hmm. tactics. And so he wants to completely stop it. If he can't stop it, he wants to pervert it. And and that is satanic, isn't it? Yeah, it's either um, he wants the witnesses of Jesus to uh, close their mouths. And sometimes, you know, that can happen through... Uh, through persecution, um, whether it's government uh, sponsored or whether it's like a grassroots persecution, persecution can come. And the 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 overall object of persecution is to stop the gospel witness, to stop the the gospel from being proclaimed. And sometimes that works. You know, it could be uh, Christians having to flee and having to leave to uh, to to save their lives. Um, other times it's imprisonment. Um, it could be, even be death. Um, and so that's, you know, one of the tools that, that the enemy will use to stop a witness. But if that doesn't happen, like you said, he will then try to bring confusion into what is being said uh, so the hearers cannot fully comprehend and understand it. Um, there's a passage I'm thinking of in Second in Corinthians chapter 4, and uh, Paul is is writing, and he's saying that you know, the, um, the gospel that's being proclaimed is veiled to those who are perishing. Mm. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So that's what Satan is trying to do. He's trying to either stop the witness from ever being spoken, or if he can't do that, he's trying to confuse it to keep, believer, uh, to keep unbelievers from believing. And here in Acts 13, Paul does not waste time. He comes against this sorcerer, uh, this demonic, empowered man. He's, it's demonic, so it's limited. It means it's submissive to God's power, uh, that spirit is. And listen to this. And now, indeed, this is what Paul says to that man. And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time, 
and immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul, the governor, believed when he saw what had been done, been astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, again, we talk about this. It is satanic. It is uh, spiritual. The Bible talks about not wrestling against flesh and blood. And, and so, Nathan, here, Paul confronts. Now, what's amazing here, when they left, they were referred to as Barnabas and Saul. And after this, from now on, he's going to be, it's going to be Paul and Barnabas, you know? Yeah. Uh, Paul, uh, he, he exerts that leadership in, in uh, this uh, traveling missionary band, and he exerts that relationship, and he, uh, he uh, puts forth the, the enemy and puts a stop to it. And so, and prayers a part of it. Now, while this is happening, I think we need to remember, guess what's happening back in Antioch? They're praying for them. So right. prayers are not just there on the island of Cyprus, but the prayers are being heard by the church at Antioch. And I think we need to talk about this spiritual warfare when Satan tries to divide and he call, tries to cause fear to come upon that it would silence the, the message of Christ, that we have prayer warriors. And those of you that may not be on the field, be praying for those that are on the field out there doing those things that God would empower them, that they would have the wisdom to know where to turn. And Paul does that, but praise God for the church at Antioch. I'm sure they were still praying for them at that time, Nathan. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as, as we think about going out, being sent out as mission workers, you know, and it could be, like you said, around the world, but it could be across the street. So wherever we go on mission purposefully, we need to go with prayer. You know, not like you said, not only ourselves praying, but those behind us. Um, you know, when you think of a military operation, it could be a small group, maybe a top secret operation. Um, but a, a team will go out and conduct a, an operation, and you know what they have? What they have kind of ready uh, at their call is air support. That's right. Well, we need to go out, you know, in an operation of, of the gospel with prayer support, and we need to have people. Uh, at every turn, praying for the gospel to go forth, not only in, in boldness, but in power as we confront the uh, the enemies of darkness. And that's what you're going to hear in this interview concerning the power of God overcoming all obstacles. Listen to the interview, and I think you'll be blessed and you'll be encouraged to know that you're part of the work when you pray in Jesus' name. Welcome to Exploring Missions, Bert Harper, along with Dr. Matt Ayers. He is the president of Wesley Biblical Seminary in Ridgeland, Mississippi, but he's also assistant professor of Old Testament, and uh, we welcome you today. Thank you. Great to be here. But before you got there, you were in Haiti? I was in Haiti. That's right, yeah. Missionary there? Yes, sir. And... A president of a seminary. President there. of a seminary. Yeah, now, that's right. Uh, okay, man. You, no wonder you had dual roles. Yeah, but, yeah. It's a lot of work. Yeah. What took you to Haiti? Yeah. So uh, my wife initiated when we were, um, you know, in college. She loved the mission field, loved serving the poor, and uh, and we were friends. And I saw that in her, and and it interested me. And so I said, well, let's let's try this. I went to Haiti on a short term trip and just fell in love with it. You know how this is. God gives us these desires and passions because he wants us to serve him in such a way. And, and so it was really through, you know, my relationship with my now wife and then, um, 
and and various other people within my network who were connected to this this mission organization over here and this need over here that was in Haiti. And so God just kind of opened up the right corridors to make us land right where he wanted us. Wow. Is Haiti the place that we see, you know, quote, witch doctors and and voodoo. Sure it is, yeah. It's it's not made up. No, it's not made up at all. It's all very real. And, um, you know, I've heard even some Haitians who live in the States say, that stuff's all myths and legends. It's not. It's not. I've I've been to plenty of voodoo temples. I've spoken to plenty of witch doctors. I have, you know, 13 years of living in the country. It is pervaded with animism and voodoo. You know, uh, in the other program that we did with you, you talked about teaching about spiritual warfare. That's right, yeah. So when you go to Haiti... You better be ready yeah, for spiritual warfare because, uh, you know, Satan is alive. Well, let me say the name of the book was Satan's Alive and Well on Planet Earth. Yeah. And uh, I guess with that kind of atmosphere, do you is there a sense of feeling it or it's in the air or is it just come when you see it and observe it? it it's kind of all the above and it, it changes in form. And um yeah, sometimes you very much feel the oppression in the work. A lot of times my experience was uh, feeling the attack while sleeping, in fact, and, and we know that's a used strategy of the enemy. And, um, you know, going to witch doctors, doing evangelism, standing inside of voodoo temples, no, never any fear. Um, and, and you have the Lord's anointing. And even witch doctors, they know that they can't touch Christians because we're, we're children of God. They know that. They can't curse us. They can't. They can try, but they know it's not successful. I've heard many witch doctors attest to that. And even witch doctors who've converted to become Christians will attest to that. Um, you know, I kind of, I've got this from Neil Anderson, uh, who was the guy who wrote the book called Bondage Breaker and a number of other books, Steps to Freedom in Christ, great stuff. And he compares spiritual warfare to germs. You know, he says, demons are like germs. Um, you can't see them, but they're there. And uh, if you go looking for germs everywhere, you'll become a hypochondriac. Right. And, but how do you protect yourself from germs is you keep yourself clean and live a balanced life and stay healthy. Get your sleep, eat your food, stay clean, wash your hands. It's the same thing with our life in Christ. Um, you know, we, we practice the means of grace. We're in the scriptures. We're going to church. We're worshiping. We're fasting. We're doing all that stuff that keeps us strong in Jesus. Uh, but knowing that germs are there can make us healthier people because we can eliminate certain possibilities of what's going on when things get unhealthy. And the same is true of the demonic. The same is true in spiritual warfare. You don't go looking for it everywhere, but when there is an issue, being aware that it's possible can really bring some serious deliverance in certain scenarios. So as believers, we're to guard our hearts. Guard our we hearts. We really are. Yeah, armor of God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. That's yeah. exactly right. And I found out when I was, if I would concentrate on the warfare more than to do with Jesus, yeah. that's not healthy. It's not healthy either. It, the whole idea is Christ. When I would preach a sermon or when I do preach a sermon and I have spiritual warfare in that, yeah, that's right. I, I don't concentrate on that. I, I bring it back to the one who is over those who would cast out demons who would overrule and 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 so i i can just imagine in haiti even here in america we're we're drawn that way and it may operate different but we need to understand that it's those germs are there but not having to look for them but to protect ourselves and that's missional in because it it frees you up that's right to to share the good news of christ well one of the tactics of the enemy you know he, he torments and he tortures and he prevents people from hearing the gospel and understanding the gospel but he also tries to make people who are doing mission be least effective. He wants to paralyze your effectiveness. And being aware that if there's an issue happening here, it could be spiritual warfare. It could be the flesh. 
It could be other factors at play. It could be your lack of understanding of culture and language, you know, but it could be demonic as well. Mm-hmm. And, and accounting for that, again, could, main, could lead to some, some pretty substantial victory. And, and yeah, in Haiti, it's, um, yeah, it, it just manifests in different forms. It's more present, more visible in the poverty and, and you know, the talismans everywhere and the rituals and certain behaviors of you know, culture adaptations, the way that people behave within society as a result of... And one of the, the tragic things about spiritual warfare is that people in the church oftentimes are more afraid of the devil than they are of God. And that's a huge tragedy because not only is a God obviously so much greater than the devil, uh, but in fact, the, the, the spiritual realm is subject to us not just God, but us as Christians in Jesus. We are made one, united with Christ through the Holy Spirit. And, and the demonic is subject to the church. Uh, I want to get to the seminary yeah. that was down there. But sure. Before I do, I had a professor in seminary, and I loved what he said. He said, if your lawnmower won't crank, it probably doesn't have a demon. It probably just needs a new spark plug. Yeah. And, and that relates to what, sure. you know, you uh, not everything is 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 that germ or that it's just something that needs to be changed something that needs to but be changed be aware be aware don't be ignorant the the bible teaches don't be ignorant of satan's devices so yeah, we right. but it doesn't go around saying you know look for them on every yeah. tree you know so. Ephesians 6 we battle not against flesh and blood but the powers and principalities and authorities of the unseen world and and that which is seen is temporal and passing away but that which is unseen is is eternal which is, it's a very real thing um you know and i i like to compare it to to i picked this up in a book demons are like rats that feed on garbage you know if we've got garbage in our lives and that garbage could be sin it could be unforgiveness, things that we haven't forgiven ourselves for, others for. It could be wounds that we've received. If we don't let the Holy Spirit move and heal those areas, it, it's an open door for, for attack. And so we've got to keep our lives clean and pure and holy um, for the sake of the kingdom, not just for the sake of our own health, but for the sake of advancing the kingdom. Amen. Well, while you were in Haiti, yes, sir. you were president of the seminary there. Tell us a little bit about that. I, that uh, intrigued me. When I was looking at the little bow and I saw that, I said, okay, I had no idea Haiti had one. So tell us a little bit about that. That's that's awesome. Yeah. So um, Haitian pastors need training, just like, you know, any pastor in the world needs. And, um, you know, in a, in a language, that's, in a country that speaks French and Creole, um, there's not a lot of resources available. You know, everything these days are in English. You know, how many French speaking countries do you know of that are evangelical and that are producing <laughs> volumes, you know? And so, um, so there's training that's needed. There's theological training, biblical training, and God is at work in Haiti, and he's raising up leaders, and they're looking for a place to get trained. And so that's why we existed, was to respond to that need and uh, to fill that part of the Great Commission to make disciples and to create disciple makers as well. And so um, started out as a, it still is a very much an undergraduate program. It's like a Bible college. And the core of the curriculum, again, is, is biblical studies. They have many, many, many hours of studying the scriptures. Again, a biblical seminary, not a theological seminary, meaning multi-denominational, whose curriculum is founded not in dogma or doctrine, but founded in the scriptures and understanding the scriptures using inductive Bible study and all sorts of other strategies for getting at correctly dividing the word of God and interpreting it and preaching it. Yeah. And also practical theology how to do missions and evangelism, how to govern a church, you know, math for organizational leadership. How do you keep books at a church, this kind of stuff. And so uh, they have about 200 to 300 students now. It's entirely, you know, Haitian run. It's got an international board and um, beautiful campus there in, outside of Cap Haitian, um, 13 buildings on the campus, all wired for, you know, Wi-Fi and electricity through solar panels and clean water to drink. And so it's an oasis in the middle of a tough place, um, Man. but doing some incredible stuff. That sounds like New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, great <laughs> those, friends. I love the, New Orleans the, Those Baptist, that yeah. know New Orleans and know the seminary, yeah, it's just right. right there. Set, 
Hey, when you was describing it, it just out of my mind went to, to that because it's beautiful campus there. But with you being a biblical seminary, it brings in denominations, and it's not as big a deal. Oh, absolutely. Not as big a deal at all. Now, there will be a little bit of discussion, and sometimes a lot that's, of a discussion. That's okay. Well, that— It's healthy. Iron sharpens iron, doesn't it? That's right. And and the thing is, as long as the conversation produces more light than heat, that's what we're after. And yeah. when, when it starts producing more heat than light, we go, okay, let's let's cool this off a little bit because we're we're on the same team here. Yeah. And the again, iron sharpens iron. You know, we have these discussions to go deeper and gain greater clarity on on whatever the issue is, whether it's the doctrine of election and predestination or sanctification versus justification or what Paul means in this passage versus what he doesn't mean. Uh, so it's a wonderful collegial uh, place of Christian fellowship. Amen. Well, the professors, do they fly in? Do they live there? Or is it one or two? Or how, how does that work? Yeah, they, they train they, the people who are teaching. Yeah, there's there's quite a few professors. Uh, the major, the core professor body is um, is Haitian. And there are graduates that we've gone and got master's degrees and doctorates for. Um, and we're still working on that. You know, we knew that we'd have to raise up our own professors um, because most of the, if, if there is a Haitian out there with, you know, the, the academic credentialing, which you're talking about a doctoral degree, a terminal degree, um, they're, they're probably not in Haiti. They're probably in the States. And so it's hard to find people who are academically credentialed, who are living in Haiti and who are also, you know, evangelical, Protestant and trained in theology. That's a really niche kind of a thing. And so we raised up our own professors. We, we adjunct out some. I was just there last week teaching a course on systematic theology and, in fact, spiritual warfare, talking about the Trinity and why is the Trinity important and the created versus the uncreated and the impact it has on our worldview and how we operate and behave. And so anyway, um, moral impact of the gospel. So, um, so they do fly in professors from the States as well. But it's primarily a Haitian cadre of professors. And, and really, one of the things that I've observed in mission work is getting the people from that nation, that community, to be the leaders and not, not just importing the leaders. And it, I'm not saying, you know, when they see someone that's different and talks different, yes, it's an attraction for a while. Yeah. But long term, it's, it's got to be – it's got to become part of that – people group, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and the mission organization we are with, One Mission Society, they strongly believe that nations are won by their own sons and daughters. And, and listen, this is in Jesus himself. He took on human flesh because it needed redeemed. He became one of us. You know, yeah. um, He didn't come in the form of a you know, divine being. He did, but he also you know, put himself in flesh and made human flesh one you know, with his divinity, which is just, you know, what a mystery, a wonderful mystery, redeeming even the flesh and the created. Um, so absolutely, I think more. Of, and the other thing is when you're a foreigner, and especially in a poor country, and you have a different color skin, you speak a different language, the automatic assumption is that you have more education than I do and you have more money than I do. Um, and so that puts you in a position of power over the person that you're dealing with. And doing evangelism from a position of power is dangerous. Um, it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. It just means that we need to be careful. Yeah, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> what evangelism, yeah. Well, and, and yeah, if you're doing it from a position of power, there could be alternative motives for people saying, yeah, I'll become yeah. a Christian, you know, because maybe this is my opportunity to get some funds in my bank account or to get one of those fancy shiny radios you got there or whatever. So we're, we're careful about how that's done. And a lot of times I try to stay hidden, you know, self-effacing and, and refer to, you know, people give a lot of stuff, food, food, clothes, you know, money to Haiti. And we would always distribute that to the local church to distribute rather than, you know, the, the foreign missionaries of a different color distributing it. Cause we want the church to get credit for that. Cause it's the church ultimately that's the ones, you know, carrying out God's plan. 
That sounds familiar because Operation Christmas Child, yes, they collect it here, and yes, some of the Americans or English go, but guess what they do? They go to a local church, church. and that local pastor and church leaders, they're a part of it. So that's that's a missional purpose. That's why it's Jesus. Uh, When Paul was on his missionary journeys, he would always, what, ordain elders from that community. That's right. You know, he didn't ship them in. He asked them to come in and help for a while. But he left them to be the ones that would be the leaders. That's right. That's yeah. missional. It That's is. That's part of it. One thing more I wanted to ask you about before we uh, depart from the interview today, and that is the denominations, churches in Haiti. Mm. Uh, is it non-church? Are they all are part of the uh, culture there? What? How is? What's the landscape yeah. in, in Haiti as far as the sure. spiritual area? Yeah, ecclesial landscape and all that stuff. So, you know, Operation World's a wonderful organization. You can look up some of the statistics. Um, you know, Haiti, they say, is, you know, 90% Roman Catholic, 10% Protestant, 100% voodoo. And what they're talking about when they say that is that voodoo is more than just a religion, but a worldview. That while not everyone goes to the witch doctor for, you know, conjuring a spirit for healing, that everyone believes in, you know, it comes from a, a very fundamental animistic, you know, point of view. Um, however, uh, Protestantism is on the rise in Haiti, and uh, Roman Catholicism is on the decline. It doesn't have to do with sex scandal or anything like that in the church. It just has to do with—well, um, it has to do with a lot of different things, mainly Western world influence, and so, uh, namely, the United States. And so, the United States is primarily a Protestant nation with influence. So, that some of it is geopolitical. Um, at the same time, <laughs> Protestantism in Haiti is a funny thing. So, to be Protestant is to be Baptist. It's synonymous. Say, are, okay. are you Catholic or are you Baptist? And what they mean is, are you Catholic that or are you that sounds like Northeast Mississippi. I mean, right. somebody said if you're not That's Baptist, right. you know, in Northeast Mississippi, you you originally probably come from somewhere that's not that bad. But well, I yeah, know, and but it, it relates. You know, there are a lot well, of areas the, that relate with that. And the people who brought Protestantism to Haiti were Baptists. I mean, yeah. that's where it began. Okay. Now there are, there are a lot of Adventists these days, and it has to do with money. Adventists pray, they pay their pastors, and they tend to be a little bit legalistic, which appeals to a culture like that. I know I don't know if I'm saved. Well, I obey the rules. You know, check those boxes, and yeah. and and again. I'm not. I'm not. You know, saying anything bad about Adventism. Just talking about the proclivities and kind of what people like about it in Haiti. So, um, you know, Methodism is hardly anywhere in Haiti. At least where I'm from, in Capetian, <clears throat> Nazarene, some of the Western Armenian traditions are way underrepresented. Um, but there are these organic grassroots Western Armenian organizations. I mean, Evangelical uh, Church of Haiti, which is started by OMS. There are Western Armenian Emmaus Communion of Churches started by OMS. Uh, Wesleyan Armenian. There's a lot of these. There is a West, a strong Wesleyan Church in Haiti, uh, but primarily, you know, you're looking at independent churches planted by a community in which a little boy in the neighborhood grew up, got an education, became a pastor, went back to his hometown and planted a church. And now he's kind of the church chief. Yeah. That Those are most churches in Haiti. But you do have a spattering of, of some of the, the more mainstream evangelical denominations. Yeah. Well, we want to pray for Haiti. So we ask you who are listening to put Haiti on your prayer list. Pray for those that are working there, the churches there, the seminary now. We've added that to our yeah. prayer list, that it would train and, and have these pastors going and sharing the Word of God. That's missional. Yeah. And so... And I would love to pray for for you. And would you do and, that? And can I do it in Creole for you? Do that. Yeah, there yes, we go. Please. Okay. Seigneur, bon Dieu, nous nous merci pour tout ça et pour nous-mêmes et pour faire nous pour Bert et pour ça la faire ni pour tout technicien qui là parmi nous pour capable faire bagasse possible, Seigneur. Nous disons merci pour cet esprit qui vient parmi nous pour capable délivrer nous de tout péché et toute puissance de péché. Plus que ça, Seigneur, nous disons merci pour Jésus-Christ, ton Fils, qui t'est mort pour nous toutes et qui t'est coulé sans lit pour nous capable délivrer de toute affliction, Seigneur. 
Nous pouvons pour l'enseigner sur le monde, ni pour studio ça, ni pour cahier ça, Seigneur, pour qu'on protéger protéger en bas protection au Seigneur. Nous pouvons tous bagasser ça au nom du Père, du Fils, du Saint-Esprit, qui vivent et qui prennent pour siècle de siècle. Amen. Amen, brother. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm saying one thing in French and Creole. Hallelujah. There you go. It's oh, true in every language. Hallelujah. Well, it is. Well, it's, it's Hebrew, technically. Yeah, yeah so. so there it is in any language. That's right. Dr. Ayers, thank you for being with us. My, my great pleasure. Thank you. It's been a joy to be with you today on Exploring Missions, and we pray that you would be on mission for God in your neighborhood and around the world. 